Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the ghosts out in the hall, the pain peeling off the walls. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. And you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I have two guests coming up in this hour. The first guest is Headley Turk. He's author of Why Intelligent People Are Overweight, A Guide to a Healthier Life. And he's going to be talking about food addiction and the elusive key to why people are overweight, even intelligent people like Oprah. Second guest is Colleen Byrne. She's an author and a veteran Internet executive. Her book, The Web 2.0 Job Finder, Winning Social Media Strategies to Get the Job You Want from Fortune 500 Hiring Pros, and she is one of those Fortune 500 hiring pros. According to Colleen Byrne, social networking sites are dramatically changing the way people stay connected. We know that. And networking is the single most effective tool for finding a job. Very important in today's economy, as we know. But first, Headley Turk, author of Why Intelligent People Are Overweight, A Guide to a Healthier Life. I, I, well, first of all, I know so many intelligent people in my business, and so many of them are overweight, so it's great to have Headley on the show. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Nice to be here, Catherine. Thank you. And uh, I under, whyareweoverweight.com is the website that everybody can go to. Um, you know, food addiction is a big thing in our in our society, in our economy. We are over. We don't even have to go through the statistics, do we, Headley? I mean, overweight, obese. No one seems to be able to stop eating. Why? Well, no, we don't have to go over the statistics. We're all well aware of that. Um, We're fat. The reason why? I'm sorry. We're fat. Well, we're fat. I don't like to use the word fat because some people take it personally, and I can understand why. I just say we're overweight and we have some challenges. Okay. So why we are overweight, why intelligent people are are overweight, and why everyone is overweight is because our behavior as it regards to food and exercise has less to do with our intellect and more to do with our associations to food and exercise. Well, explain that to us. What do you mean our association with food and exercise? We've got... Because that's kind of a new way of looking at it in terms of food addiction. Um, until I read your book, I had never really, even as a social worker, thought about that, our, our relationship to food in terms of associations with food making us want to eat, what, the bad stuff and not exercise? Yes. Um, an association, as you already know, is a link in your mind between a person, place, thing, and experience and an emotion. So a common association is a person who's afraid of dogs. A person who's afraid of dogs was either attacked or frightened severely in their past by a dog. 
at that moment, they create an association that dogs equal fear. So now they have an association to dogs that is so strong that even if they see a really friendly dog with a big smile on its face walking down the street, they're going to experience fear because their associations are overriding their intellect. So the same thing occurs with food. Once upon a time, you know, you ate a, you ate a food, a piece of cake, a piece of chocolate, or some ice cream, and you liked the way it tasted. It made you feel good. There, you created an association that this food makes you feel good. Then each subsequent time you ate the food, it continued to make you feel good, further strengthening the association. So the, the result is you have an association to this food that is so strong that even though you know it's unhealthy and it's causing you harm, you still can't stop yourself from eating it because your associations are overriding your intellect. So are you saying, Headley, that these associations, they start like when we're really young, when mom's serving us birthday cake, or we, well, that's a good association. You have a birthday, you get a cake, sweets, cupcakes. So is that the kind of association you're talking about? True. I mean, it could happen at any point in your life. Um, but if it started when you were young, if you were given all these sweets and you were reinforced by mom saying, hey, this is great, this is good for you, enjoy it, you've created an association. This food makes me feel good. And with that extra emotion involved, with mom involved, it, for, it creates an association that is very strong. So explain to us in terms of exactly what foods you're talking about. Is it always, I mean, the bad foods, the b- foods that we have g- good associations with bad foods, like cake or cupcakes or candy bars or ice cream, uh, those kinds of food, and that's what makes us fat. Or, I right. Don't, fat, I'm sorry, overweight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but see, I'm a therapist. I have to tell you, Hedley, I'm a therapist, so, you know, when I speak to I have to say, you know, you're fat. You have to, you know, denial. We have to talk about what it really is. But anyway. True. Is, uh, it's a big portion. A big portion of this is getting to the truth. But uh, regarding associations, your associations are either positive or negative. So you can have positive associations to food, but it all depends what the food is. So if you have a positive association to a bad food, you're going to continue to eat that bad food because it makes you feel good. You have a positive association to it. If you have a positive association to good food, you're going to eat the good food because it makes you feel good and you have a positive association to it. But how does that fit in terms of, and I know you, you cover this in the book, but how does it fit in terms of, like, how much you eat? Let's say you have a good association to cookies. And what about the person who feels good when they eat a cookie because they've had good experiences with cookies when they were kids or even just recently, or it could be in their recent life? Uh, but it's the quantity of cookies. So why can't they You have a cookie, you eat dinner, have lunch, and you have two cookies instead of eating the box of cookies? Explain that to me. What, you, so there's a you know, limit. Has some, putting limits on things has something to do with it, too. Well, here there are two factors. When we, when we talk about associations, this is the underlying uh, way that our mind works in re- regarding our behaviors. So in regards to quantity, there are two factors involved. One is motivation. How motivated are you? How important is it, is it for you to be healthy? Your motivation is going, to, is, going to be, is going to have a direct proportion to what you eat and how much you eat. So if you're really motivated, you want to be super healthy, you want to live as long as you can possibly live, the chances that you're going to eat a lot of cookies are really slim. And your associations, the way we've just explained how to control how you feel about food, that is the method, that is the way to control what you eat. But it's your motivation that will determine how often you eat the cookies and whether or not, whether or not you eat it to begin with. All right, give us an example, though. You talk about Oprah here. Oprah's super intelligent, super successful. She has 
virtually, you know, as an outsider, we look at her and say, oh, you know, she has everything that she wants or could possibly need, yet she can't, it appears that she can't stop eating. Well, I can't speak directly to what Oprah's particular situation is, but it's obvious that she has not been given the right tools to accomplish this. Um, she's been given all great diets. She's been given the best exercises. Um, but those, those are not the ultimate cause of being overweight. You know, a lot of, there have been a lot of books written on this topic, I mean a ton, on exercise, on diets, and health. But, and they've all covered the causes of being overweight, which are overeating, uh, lack of exercise, stress, um, emotional eating, those are the causes of being overweight, but they're not the ultimate cause, which, as we said, are our associations. So I can't speak to what Oprah's particular issue is and why she has not overcome it, but I'm pretty sure that it's because she has her associations to food are not serving her. Do you think she's stuck? In, all right, we can get away from Oprah, but let's just take and all of us have in our, I mean, we can all think about intelligent people, successful people who are really, who are overweight uh, or, even, or even obese. And they seem to have all these excuses, and you discuss them in, the, in your book because I think it's important. Like you said to me that we don't say fat, we say overweight, but maybe that's, to me that's begging the question. But anyway, people, we tell ourselves these lies. What, what are some of these lies that we, we which is really denial, I think, um, that we tell ourselves um, why we eat so much? Sure, we we rationalize everything, and we call we call them so we call them rationalizations. But like you said, they really are lies. We're lying to ourselves. Um, one of the most common lies that we tell ourselves is that we're not that overweight. And let me just say that if we're if you're overweight at all, you're too overweight. And I'm not saying that from an aesthetic point of view. This is not about being model thin and, and looking good. This is about being healthy. And being healthy means having lots of energy. Um, being strong, you know, living illness and disease-free, and doing it for a very, very, very long time. You know, being overweight is unhealthy, and being overweight will get you sick, and ultimately being overweight will kill you before your time, and those are the facts. I'm not trying to be a fear monger. That's just the way, those are just the facts. So if you're overweight, you're too overweight. Um, another common excuse we, we use is it won't happen to me. Now, if you're not taking care of your health, if you're eating poorly, if you're not exercising, the facts are the likelihood is that you are going to have a life filled with illness and disease and you will die before your time. And again, those are the facts. So we have to get past the rationalizations. We need to get to the truth. And the truth is, you know, a lot of times, how do we get to the truth? Sometimes it's, it's you have to get in front of a mirror, take off all your clothes, and really take a long, hard, honest look at yourself. You know, that's the best way to do it. I've done it myself. Sometimes it's sickening, but I do it. I get in front of the full-length mirror, take off all my clothes, you are so right, and get in touch with your fat and just really look at yourself because I think we tend to get all dressed up, then we look in the mirror, and then we, well, I don't look that bad. And you really do have to... It seems like a simple exercise, but I think that's really that's a, that's the that's a big that's the number one thing you have to start with, getting in touch with your body. It's getting it's really getting in touch with the truth, and you're 100 yeah. percent right. It's like what you said when you don't mince words when you say fat, and you, you you kind of confront people. Well, here you're confronting yourself. You take off your clothes, you look in the mirror, you look at your thighs, you look at your stomach, you look at your arms, <laughs> your neck. Is this is this the life that you want? Is this the best that you can be doing for yourself? That's, that's really where it all starts, getting to the truth. 
And some of these other lies that you talk about, I mean, I've heard these, I've said them, I hear my friends saying them, you know, this whole thing, I have food issues, making it some kind of an esoteric, I have food issues, I I just, you do understand that my food issues are, are unique, and you hear all these excuses, as you say, excuses, but you say you don't have food issues, you just make poor choices. Yeah, you made you made poor choice, but you have it's it's about your associations, you know. Again, I hate to beat that um, point, but it really is because that's the underlying reason for our behavior as it regards to food and exercise are our associations. So, how do we change those associations? How do we change your, our associations with food and exercise if they're not good for us? Well, what exercise would be a but? Okay, we we really been talking about food, but we didn't actually talk about exercise. Well, associations with exercise painful. Give us some examples because we have to change those too if we're not exercising properly. Sure, it's just the opposite with exercise. You eat food because you have a positive association to it. You don't exercise because you have negative associations to exercise. So some common negative associations to exercise is uh, it's too hard. It's going to hurt. Uh, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to sweat. Those are just common negative associations that people have exercise. And when you have a negative association to something, you're not going to do it. I can hurt myself. I, you know, those are other ones too. You know, if I if I do things that are too strenuous, I'm going to hurt my muscles, my knees. It's too expensive to go to the gym. I don't have enough money. I mean, you can go on and on, right? Okay, so let's talk about now change. How, and you cover this in the book, but how do you change your associations with food, which are positive, with bad food or food that's not good for you, and exercise because you have negative associations with doing exercise, which is good for you? Sure. Uh, Is that complicated? (laughs) Not at all. It's not really... It's a, it's a complicated topic, but it's really, to get to the solution, it's not so complicated. It's going to take work. Now, let me just say right off the bat, it's going to take work, but it's not complicated. So to change your associations to food, it's a five-step process. Number one, it starts with motivation. It takes a lot of hard work to overcome your food addiction. It takes hard work to lose weight, and it takes hard work to get healthy. And nothing in life no hard work is, is, is accomplished in life without, I'm sorry, no task in life is accomplished without hard work. So it starts with motivation. And if you have even the slightest bit of motivation, there are tools and information in this book that will take that small motivation and turn it into a volcano of motivation. motivation. And I'm not just saying that to sell books. Um, I don't need to sell books to make a living. I do very well as a computer consultant. Um, I wrote this book because I believe that I have information that can help tens of millions of people overcome their food addiction. And don't uh, you take it from a personal perspective as well, um, Headley, because you had a problem with a donut problem, didn't you? Yes, I used to be addicted to chocolate donuts. Um, once a week I would get the urge to, for my specific type of chocolate donuts and I would go out to the supermarket and, and pick them up. And my, my donuts came in a box of eight donuts. So I would bring them home and I would kill the entire box in one sitting. So that was eight donuts and about a zillion grams of garbage ingested in about an hour. And that, what started off as a once-a-week treat for me, developed into a twice-a-week indulgence. And then over time, that grew to a two-day-in-a-row excess. So basically, I was eating two boxes of donuts over two days, which means I was eating 16 donuts in two days. And that's when I really realized that I had a problem and that I was in no longer in control of my behavior. I was, I was a slave to now my desires, my food uh, desire. And well, you were a slave to your donuts. Now, three things, three questions. 
what first how what was the good association or the great association you had with donuts? Why donuts? I mean, I'm curious because a lot of people have the donut problem. Uh, you know, yeah. something. Yeah, go ahead. It's the same associations that we all have to, to food that we eat, uh, especially unhealthy food. Uh, I liked the way it tasted. It made me feel good. Uh, it satiated my desire. Um, it relaxed me. And what happened? How much weight did you gain? I mean, were you really overweight? Um, I mean, you were making poor choices, as you say. I mean, poor, poor choices, eating, buying, starting out with a box of eight donuts and working your way up for the week. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people can identify with you. Millions of people can identify you, if not donuts, cookies, or ice cream, or anything. And they're easy to eat, too. That's the other thing. Donuts are easy to pop in. You know, you don't have to bake a cake or buy it. You could just, and you can buy it. You don't have to be embarrassed because people think that eight donuts, you're not going to eat them in one session. You know, they, so it's like you've got an excuse. But um, so all those, how many, how fat, how much, how, uh, I can't say, I keep wanting to say fat, but how much, um, how much overweight did you become from all those donuts? Actually, I did not put on any weight because I was very active. I played a lot of basketball and I worked out a lot. So I, I did not see the results of eating that food from an aesthetic point of view. But the reality was I was destroying my insides in the process. You cannot continue to eat that over a long period of time and not suffer some kind of health issues. Yeah. And were you suffering from health issues? Was that the motivating factor to change? No. I didn't, not yet. I didn't suffer the health issues yet. What my, motiva- my motivation to change was the fact that I was out of control that I recognized that I was no longer in control of my behavior. I'm someone who takes a lot of pride in the fact that I hold myself to a very high standard, both professionally and personally. And to see myself so out of control was, was very troubling. And that's what began me on, began me on my road to uh, overcome this food addiction. Okay, so let's start from here. I mean, so then that, this is your personal story as well as your professional story here, this book, Why Intelligent People Are Overweight. Um, so what did you do? How did you change those associations? How can we change our associations to food when we're making those kinds of choices similar to the kind you were making with the donuts? Sure. First step, like I said, it's motivation. You have to be motivated. So not, not just why is it important to overcome a food addiction or why do I want to change this? Why, does, why do maybe do I want to do this? No, no, no. It has to be a must for you. Why must you overcome your food addiction? Why must you get, get healthy? Why must you exercise? It can't just be a maybe I'd like to kind of sort of. You must do it because if it's not a must for you, you may start it, but you're not going to finish it. It's your motivation that will get you started. It's your motivation that will keep you going. And it's your motivation that will help you see this through to completion. So that's step number one, motivation. Step number two is identify what your current associations are to the food. So like we said earlier with the donuts, what what were my associations? I liked the way it tasted. It made me feel good. It satiated my desire. Uh, it relaxed me. Those are very common associations to, to food. Uh, the third step is to change your associations from positive to negative. You will never quit eating that food if you have positive associations to it. It's a pleasure in life. No, you're not going to take away a pleasure from your life. So you need to change your associations to that food from a positive to a negative. So now when you think about the food, you're going to have a negative association to it. Before. So how would you do that? How do you change, you know, a great big juicy chocolate donut, it does have great, you know, for most people, positive associations. But what do you do? How do you make that a negative thing? You incorporate your motivation into it. So basically, let me give you an example. I had a friend, uh, Michael. Uh, he 
had a food addiction. His addiction was Italian food. He was about 70, 80 pounds overweight, and he used to love his Italian food. He suffered a heart attack, and after his heart attack, he went on a uh, diet and an exercise program that was prescribed by his doctor. But over time, as life stresses began to affect him, he stopped eating right, and he stopped exercising, and he put all the weight back on. And he was unable to overcome his food addiction. Well, ultimately, what caused him to be motivated to make a change was he was fighting with his wife constantly because his wife was telling him, look, you're putting on all this weight, and, you know, this is, this is contrary. You're going to, have to suffer another heart attack. It was his family that motivated him because eventually he was fighting with his wife one day, and his kids came up to him, and they were crying because there was such tumult in the house. And his kids, one of his kids, his son, came up to him and said, I don't want to see you die, Daddy. And that was the impetus. That was his motivation to make a change. And that's what got him started. So everybody's motivation is different. So you need to incorporate your motivation into your associations. Otherwise, it's not going to stick. If you're just writing some affirmations down and little, little notes, it's not enough to make a change. We're changing your behavior at its very core. And to well, you, well, I have to stop you there because I, I can understand why your friend changed his behavior. Uh, it was almost like his family had some kind of an intervention. His kids are saying, I don't want you to die, Daddy. But that, they precipitated his, his fighting with his wife, a crisis, a crisis in order to stop. But do we have to have a major heart attack or uh, an intervention from our families in order to motivate ourselves to stop eating the donuts? Because that's kind of crisis-oriented. Oriented. I mean, especially a major heart attack. That is true. Um, your motivation can come from different places. It can be crisis-oriented. It can come from a doctor telling you, hey, you, you need to change your behavior or you're going to die soon or you're going to suffer a major health issue. Um, it could come when you've already had the health issue, and by that time it's usually too late. Um, again, this is why I said it starts, you want to start with honesty. That's why you take your clothes off and take a look now before something happens. You have to be honest with yourself and know that if you're overweight, the likelihood is that you will suffer health-related issues throughout the course of your life and you will die before your time. That is reality. It's not me making up yeah. a statistic. That is reality, okay, whether you believe it or not. That's what's going to happen. So it starts with that. But your motivation can come from a lot of different sources. Uh, if you have a family, uh, your motivation can come from the fact that you know that you're a role model for your family. Your kids follow in your footsteps. They're going to model their behavior after you. So do you want your kids following in your footsteps? Do you want them to be overweight? Do you want them to be sick throughout their life? And do you want them to die before their times? You know, so if you have a family, that's motivation. Or if you but have if a relationship, a good relationship with your spouse or partner, I mean, uh, you know, it's, you know, people, uh, you know, you want to have a, a good, you feel good about yourself, then you're going to feel good about your relationship. I mean, it impacts, it has to impact on your sex life with your partner or your girlfriend or boyfriend or, or spouse. If you're 100 pounds overweight, I mean, and, and that's the truth. So, I mean, I mean, that's another motivation. True, true. Uh, you're, you're, being overweight affects every part of your life. You know, it, it's regard, it, it stops people from going on certain vacations because they'll have to be more active on the vacation. You know, it, 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 it impacts your health. It impacts in so many different areas. And, but our motivation comes from different places, and that's one of the reasons why people don't make the change. It's because they're, they haven't explored their motivation. They don't have the strong enough impetus. The second reason why we don't make the change is because we don't have the tools to get there. Again, like I said, there's so many books written on this topic, but nobody has gotten to the core uh, 
source of why we're overweight until now, and I don't say that to be arrogant. I just say that as a matter of fact. Yeah, think about it. Has to, it it's your your association with food is what <clears throat> motivates you for your choices. Now, exercise. And I was when I was reading the book, one of the things, the excuses or the lies that I tell myself uh, is, you know, I walk and I walk every day or at least five days a week, and I walk four miles, and that's enough. It's really not enough, but that's my excuse. And I say, well, and so I need to be motivated to do more. But you know what? I'm not really overweight. I, I'm not, I don't think, in great shape. I could be in better shape. So I need some motivating factor. We have three more minutes left, so what do I do? Sure. <laughs> um, well, walking is good if the alternative is sitting on your couch. But walking by itself is not a good enough exercise to get you in great shape and to really give you a better quality of life and to extend your life and to give you the quality of health that you really can benefit from most. Now, if you're okay with where, where you are health-wise, then it's really good. I can't motivate you. There's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, and that's very true. I can't help you motivate yourself. You need to want to improve your health. You need to want to take it to the next level. So if you're comfortable just walking, that's fine. Or maybe what you want to try is try power walking. Try taking it to the next level. You know, power walking means walking really, really fast to the point where when you come back, you are sweating heavily. Try that for a week or two or three and see how you feel. You'll find that you're going to feel energized. And that, that great feeling, that feeling good, might help give you the motivation to move forward. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's uh, probably something that that would work for me because it's sort of it's taking it to the next level, but it's not taking it, for instance, to another sport. I mean, at some point, I suppose I could do that too, but it's just sort of upping the ante with the walking and then feeling much better. And I, I think that's that that's a good idea. So you've solved my problem. Um, what do we want to leave our listeners with? We've got a couple more minutes. Why Intelligent People Are Overweight, A Guide to a Healthier Life, Headley Turk. And you can go to uh, his website, whyareweoverweight.com, and get the book, amazon.com, and bookstores everywhere. What do we want to leave our listeners with? Well, um, I would like to point everybody to the website because there is a lot of information on there. Again, that's whyareweoverweight.com. There's a lot of good information out there that can really help a lot of people, and that's really very important. But I have to say, again, it starts with motivation, okay? Um, It takes hard work to overcome food addiction. It takes hard work to lose weight. And if you're not motivated, it's not happening. But if you have even the slightest bit of motivation, see here in this area of motivation, people are afraid to be too motivated because they've been let down in the past so many times by all these other books that have, and, and, and diets, et cetera, that have not worked. So if you're willing to take the leap of faith, if you're willing to just take one more leap of faith, I promise you that this book can help get you to where you want to be. Great. Thanks so much. Colleen Byrne is coming up next. She's author of Web 2.0, Web 2.0, Job Finder. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Uh, We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Variety Channel presents a program like no other for those in the field and interested in the field of security and training. On America's front lines of crime and war with Victory Defense Consulting, hosted by J.J. Sutton. Here, listeners are learning about tactical skills and practices that support efficient, smarter, and more enduring skills. You will receive the most up-to-date information about the security and training industry with detailed discussions and select special guests each week. Tune in to On America's Front Lines of Crime and War, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox. As you know, I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to Voice America, Variety.com, and World Talk Radio. My next guest is Colleen Byrne. She's an author and a veteran Internet executive. We're going to be talking about her new book, The Web 2.0 Job Finder, Winning Social Media Strategies to Get the Job You Want from Fortune 500 Hiring Pros. And she co-authored this book with Brenda Green, and uh, she is a Fortune 500 Hiring Pro. And according to Colleen, social networking sites are dramatically changing the way people stay connected. I think we do know that. But she says that networking is the single most effective tool for finding a job. And this is what she discusses in her book. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Colleen. Thanks so much, Catherine. Really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Yeah, great book. Okay, so social networking, you know, so many people are doing it. I don't know if they're as focused as what you would like them to be, according to your book, but Mm -hmm. I guess the first question has to be, Colleen, the Web 2.0 Job Finder, what is that? What does that mean? So basically, you know, what we're talking about, you know, in the book is, um, you know, just kind of in today's, you know, Web 2.0 world, like how are people using social networking and social, you know, media specifically to go out there and to better get themselves connected and get themselves a job in today's job market. And, you know, what we did, um, you know, I'm not a a hiring expert. I'm not a recruiter or anything. I've been in the Internet industry for a long time. So what we did for the book is we interviewed um, Fortune 500 hiring pros, so recruiters, HR executives from the Fortune 500 companies, just to talk to them about how they're using social media and what 
what we found is that they're all using these sites to find uh, recruits for these companies. And so, so how are they? But let's backtrack a little, because sure, say, sure. I mean, it sounds like in order, if you do want to find a job with these companies, then you do have to use social media. I guess that's a given. Sure. Today. Yeah. And what we found is that you know the number one site that these guys were all mentioning was LinkedIn. That seems to really be like the de facto. So it's like I'm not saying you have to be on every single site and make this a full-time job, but it seemed like LinkedIn was the site that all these folks go to to find recruits, um, you know, when they're looking for candidates for open recs at their companies. So, you know, if you don't have a LinkedIn profile, it's really easy to create one. So, you know, what we recommend is, you know, go in there, get on the LinkedIn, create a profile. It's really easy to do. Somebody even with a lot of Internet experience um, can pretty much get up there and, you know, get rolling with a, with a LinkedIn profile. Really easy to do. And, um, you know, and I think it's a benefit whether you are, you know, searching for a job at one of the Fortune 500 companies or if you have your own business, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to get new clients, et cetera. It's, it's, a, it's a great tool to market yourself, whether it's, a, whether it's you yourself as a person, an individual, or if it's your own company. So what do you say to some of these, let's say, individuals? I mean, I understand people mm-hmm. from 20 to 45, let's say. They, you know, they, they, they've been doing it. They use LinkedIn. They use all of these sure. social media. What happens to, you know, we have a whole group of baby boomers, you know, 50-plus, mm-hmm. who aren't comfortable with using these the social media. Do mm-hmm. they need training to be able to do it? Should they hire somebody to do it for them if they can afford it for their business, even if it is a small business, so mm-hmm. that they're doing it in the right way and keeping abreast of, of you know, just, you know, you have to, I guess it, it, it evolves in terms of you know, what the important sites are too. They evolve as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, you know it depends. You know, if you're if you're a small business owner and you're and you're going up on LinkedIn to start a site, um, I mean, to just kind of more promote yourself. One of the guys that we interviewed for the book, he was he has his own. Um, he was a CPA and has his own you know tax company and. You know, basically, he used it as a tool and had people that, you know, he used, his clients actually would go on and write recommendations on him. And was, you know, an industry that people are really sensitive about, you know, who's doing their taxes and who's giving them information. You know, he would, you know, he felt that that was definitely a referral-based business. And he felt that he had been getting a lot more business via LinkedIn. I mean, it's really self-explanatory. Um, LinkedIn, I think, does a great job in terms of explaining, like, the different tools. So, you know, if you have an afternoon, if you're in the 50-plus category and you've used, you know, the Internet before, it's pretty self-explanatory and there are tutorials, um, you know, to kind of walk you through the process. process. But, you know, if you're a complete technophobe and it's going to make you feel a little bit more comfortable hiring somebody, um, you know, we didn't research, um, you know, hiring somebody to kind of create your profile, but I know there are people out there that are doing it for you. Um, there are people that I've heard of, and again, I haven't done much research on this, um, but that will kind of go out. They're, they're, they're almost like social, social media um, consultants, like image consultants, one would say. Yeah, so they really <laughs> spawn. They, they, uh, they do exist. Business. I've heard of them, but I, yeah. I actually personally haven't researched that that much. So that's a whole other area. If one wants to run, have a business, I guess, right? We've spoken. yeah, yeah, exactly. If somebody really wants to, if somebody needs that kind of handholding, it's 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 available for you. But again, I haven't done that much research on it. Uh, but you know, a lot of the books that I think that are out there, you know, our book provides a, a pretty basic 101, you know, on how to get up and rolling on a LinkedIn site. And again, the tutorials on LinkedIn site are pretty self-explanatory. And I would assume that most people 
people can get up, get, get up fairly easily. Um, so you know, what else they, do we need to know, Colleen, in terms of we want to get up there, we want to, you know, employ the social networking, et cetera? Okay, LinkedIn is one thing. What else yeah. should we be doing? Well, you know, another thing is, is just, you know, what we recommend is for people to really take five five minutes, ten minutes, however long and however time you're willing to invest in how big of a component social media is going to be for you in terms of your own personal marketing strategy, take some time to really think about what your online strategy is. And, you know, what we mean by that is is just to, instead of, you know, just throwing information randomly up there about yourself online, really think about what that information is saying about you um, because it impacts your online brand and, you know, the image that people are, gonna, are, are going to kind of portray um, you. So, you know, we really recommend that people just take a couple minutes just to kind of think about what the information they're putting out there says about them. And, you know, so when you're out there, if you do have a Facebook page or you do have a blog, think about the information, the pictures that you're posting, the information that you're posting, the tone that you're using, and how that, you know, might, uh, how, you know, a prospective job, um, someone who's looking for, looking to hire somebody, how that might impact their opinion of you. Um, you know, we interviewed one person who was from a Fortune 500 company, and he was saying how that they were at the, at the final process or at the, yeah, at the final point where they were making the job decision and they were about to offer this person a job, they go to his, you know, the person does a search on, on, on the Internet. They find that this person has a blog, and, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the blog the person mentions, and, you know, he's just joking around but saying that, you know, his coworkers drive him crazy and he feels like killing them sometime. But, you know, this raised a red flag to this person, and, you know, he had to have the conversation with with the person saying, you know, hey, yeah, do I think you're really going to go out there and kill somebody? No. But based on the fact that you're putting that information out there, you know, we need to be careful about, um, you know, to, uh, about our, our other employees. So, you know, in the rare fact that this is actually true, you know, we need to protect our other employees. So, you know, that raised a red flag to that person. That person did not get a job offer. See, that's so, I want to stop you because I think this is a really crucial point that you're bringing up. Mm-hmm. It's really scary because I think, and I know it's been addressed, but I think some of the younger people, uh, maybe in college or graduate school or professional school, don't mm-hmm. really understand the impact of that. And they just, you know, they do things uh, on the, you know, they put things up on Facebook, mm-hmm. they put things up on Twitter that are always there, that concept mm-hmm. that you can never get rid of it, I guess, is yeah. a difficult one. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. And, you know, or it's, you know, so it's just, you just really want to take, take a second to really think about how this stuff is going to impact you down the road. And so, um, you know, even with, like, the photos and everything like that, you know, if, if you are a younger, you know, just graduating college and your Facebook profile has, like, you doing, you know, yeah. you know funnels at college all over the place and, um, you know. You don't want to do an Anthony Wiener. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it's just with all of this stuff that's coming up, you just really want to be careful of the the information that, you know, you're putting out there about yourself because it can, you know, come back to haunt you someday. So, you know. I don't know how old you are, but I have like three grown boys who are, you know, late 20s, early Mm -hmm. 30s. And I had this Mm -hmm. discussion because we were talking about Anthony Wiener and the stuff he Mm -hmm. was putting up. And then Mm -hmm. in New York, the, 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 I the chief of police in Saratoga had a similar mm-hmm. incident, and I started to think yeah. perhaps there is a different standard. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of stepping out of the box for say people yeah. under forty who yeah. do this, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have you know they're not being let's say they're 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 not having 
let's say if they're married, they're not they're not really having sex with anybody else. They're mm-hmm. still being, you know, their fidelity is something that's still intact, mm-hmm. um, and that those different standards are different for the different, you know, X, you know, generation X, baby boomer mm-hmm. generation. And how does that come into play with all this social networking? Yeah, well, it's funny because we did. We talked to some people that actually mentioned that, and they were talking about people that are a little bit, you know, a little bit older, like, you know, myself and you, you know, that we tend to be a little bit more separate. And so in terms of when we're out there and we're using social, we tend to have more of, like, our, you know, personal presence where we might use, like, a Facebook versus our professional presence where we might use the LinkedIn. And what they found and what what, what, what these people have found that the younger, you know, your your 20-somethings, they they're taking a more blended approach, and so they're pulling. They're they're kind of combining the two a little bit more closely. And I mean, I think a combined um, approach is great if um, you know you know you're a good corporate citizen per se, or you know if you are just actually if you are kind of a, an outlandish person, but you're kind of known for that, and that's okay in the career path that you choose. You know, Mr. Weiner, it was not okay. <laughs> and his career path, and his career death. path, that's not acceptable. Maybe if you'd chosen, gone down another path, that would be. Um, so, you know, it's it's if you know if you are going to choose to take a blended approach, which I think is a great thing to do, um, you, you just really need to kind of think about, hey, this is the career path that I'm going down. This is a career path that I'm that I've chosen. You know, if I choose to pull a weiner, like. Is that going to work down the road for me? And, um, you know, and that, in, in some ways, some people start to think, or, and I know that um, Eric Qualman mentioned this in his, in his book, is just, you know, the question of whether social media will, will make us all actually, well, not all of us, but some of us, you know, act as better social citizens, you know, just in terms of like, hey, you know what, I can't do that because if I do that, that could be photographed, that photograph could end up on the Internet and might haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's true, but I'm thinking, Colleen, you know, that's the extreme. That's the yeah. extreme, right? Yeah. But what about stuff, because, you know, you do stuff maybe in your 20s or even if you choose a profession in your 20s mm-hmm. or your 30s, mm-hmm. and you might, and it may be, you know, you may be an actor and, and you know, you may be in some profession that is, you know, pretty, uh, even a social worker, you know, the pretty non-judgmental kind of thing. But then you mm-hmm. get into, as you get older, you decide you want to be a, I don't know, a, a lawyer or you want to run for Congress. Mm-hmm. And now you, now what do you do? Because you change, mm-hmm. we do evolve. We don't stay in the same job or the same profession for 40 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does how do we well, I mean, I guess you could look at it kind of, I think, too, as society evolves, and will this make society more accepting of certain things? I mean, you look at Clinton, who, you know, he didn't inhale, but Obama, it was okay, he inhaled. And so as time goes by, certain things, and I'm not saying that that's acceptable behavior or not acceptable behavior, but, you know, it, it, it seems that, you know, as the president, you know, as we, as, we, as we go down the line, one type of behavior seemed to be, I guess, um, you know, more acceptable in, 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 in mass, in the mass, you know. And so, you know, that's another question, you know, that we start to think about. And I think that everyone will start to think about is, you know, will social media make some of these behaviors that weren't acceptable more of a, of a norm? And, you know, I, I hope it doesn't. I hope, I hope people aren't taking pictures of their private parts and throwing them up all over the place. No, I, but, you know, I think they are. I, I, <laughs> I, I do. I think that they are doing more. I just have a feeling that the yeah. trend is going in that direction because if it's available and people can do it, then they will yeah. do it. And if they have yeah. access to doing it, they will do it. 
Um, I think one of my, uh, uh, one of the friends of one of my sons said, you know, mm-hmm. you don't realize that the online network is a very, networking is a, a very small world. It is a smaller world than you think. People mm-hmm. are connected. They do know each other. They are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they do. And through social media, it, it actually makes it that much more because it's one of those things. It's it's the friend of the friend scenario, you know. It's, it's uh, you know, oh, hey, you know that person. I know that person, you know. And I guess when you kind of mention, like, you know, you have these younger sons, you know, yeah, things can probably still, you know, down the road will be able to haunt you later because, you know, people could be like, I know that guy. We went to high school together. You're connected to that guy. And this is what that guy did in high school, you know. Right. So, so yeah. Never do any wienerizing. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's a, that's that's a good recommendation. I'd probably make that recommendation to my kids as well. You know, yes. and uh, you know, let's just cross our fingers that that just doesn't become the norm and that doesn't become socially accepted. Or, you know, again, like you said, you know, maybe down the road, um, you know, who knows? It, it could be, and, and 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 that's what it comes down to. Where people, you know, say they have a, a sexting incident when they're in their teens, and you know, it comes up when they're in their thirties, and they say, hey, oh well. You know, it happened, I did it, and so did a lot of other people. That stinks, but let's just let, that stinks, but let's just put it behind us and move on. Yeah. So, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm still kind of crossing my fingers that people don't go in that direction. But um, <laughs> We'll have to wait to see what happens. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, all, okay, now we're talking about social networking. Now, how do yeah. we incorporate all of that into, you know, writing a resume or giving out, inform- you know, that kind of thing? And, and what sure. do we say in it and what do we do? Because I know you yeah. have that in the book. We do. And so and what we did is we covered both, like, the traditional the traditional means of, so, you know, it's interesting because as, you know, you're talking to people. And today, you know, I'll be talking, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a VP of sales um, for, you know, a Fortune 500 company. And she was like, people don't use resume these days, do they? And I'm like, yes, people still do use resumes. And so, you know, with all of the Fortune 500 folks that we talk to, people are still using resumes. And, um, you know, but LinkedIn, again, you know, it's a great, it's a great resource in the sense that, you know, it really allows you to build a, a, a a resume that's alive and living and breathing document. You know, you can update it every couple months, um, you know, if you're making changes, um, you know, in your job. And, you know, I kind of look at it like this, where one of the biggest differences that, you know, I, I really see is that from the people that we spoke to, it's really no longer about looking for a job when you need a job, but it's about always kind of looking for a job. And when I, and when I say that, I don't mean that um, – say you have a job and you're always looking for like the next big thing, the next, the next best thing. It's more just constantly networking, constantly working, keeping your resume up to date and just, you know, always kind of keeping that in the back of your mind so that when you do need a job, you're not scampering around trying to like pull together your resume and, you know, anxiously trying to like build your network and, you know, reach out to people that you haven't spoken to in six, in six, years. You know, if if you're doing it on an ongoing basis, it's a more natural process. And I think it's it just puts you in a better place when you are looking for a job that, you know, everything's there. And, you know, hopefully a headhunter will call you when you're kind of at the point in your job, um, you know, at your company where you're thinking to yourself, maybe this company isn't the best place for me anymore. And maybe I'm looking for a change. And, you know, you can start connecting with people that might have reached out to you via LinkedIn, and you know, in the past, so it kind of creates that open environment, um, you know, to start looking for a job. That is great advice because you know it makes you look. I think it gives one the opportunity to look at uh, uh, getting a uh, changing 
jobs or getting a new jobs in a very <laughs> dynamic way rather than static. And we've always yeah. kind of, I think, traditionally it's always been static. I wait till I get fired. I wait till I can't do this job anymore. I'm too old. Whatever the reason, exactly. I'm moving and people move around. This way, it's just something that's ongoing. I like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's you know when you get into that space where you've lost your job or you you've gotten to the point where you're just miserable in your job, you know you're not in a good space to be negotiating for a new job. You know you want to be looking for a job almost when you're feeling really positive about yourself and what you've done and what you've accomplished, and you know it just gives you better negotiating power when you're when you're searching for that job. You know. Yes, that is a great point, and I, you know, I, I, I just think that that's something. For some reason, I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but um, that, I, I mean, I think that's a really important point for all of us mm-hmm. to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no and, matter you know, who. And, yeah, yeah, don't wait till the economy to... falls apart and they tell yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It already has, but. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's true. But you know, and all of the Fortune 500 folks that we talk to, you know, they're still saying the more you know desirable job candidate is the person that has a job, and so you know they want that you know passive job seeker. Um, you know, that seems to be the one that they're looking for. Somebody who's like actively employed. Somebody that's happy about happy in their job. And um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you want somebody or not. And not all come. I mean, I'm, I'm making some generalizations, but you know, people are interested in having people that you know work well in teams, that work well with others, and so um, you know that are happy about their their employer and um, and that kind of stuff. You know, people yeah. don't want that negative Nelly coming in and getting everybody else you know, all negative. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, desperation. Um, people who are trying to get a job out of desperation is not appealing. I mean, what, no, you know, no, it's just yeah. not appealing to have a desperate person Agreed. in your office. Right? Agree, agree, yeah. yeah. And so it's just again, it gives, it puts you in the position of power when you're, and and just like a better place when you're when you're having those conversations. And I think it just, it's it's a better interview for for you when you're interviewing. And again, it really just helps with the negotiation process. You're not like, I'll take anything. <laughs> so, um, you know, another that's, thing, that's, and I just this is getting kind of specific, but you mentioned this in the book. You know, when you're writing that resume, they always talk about they, whoever they are. Well, mm-hmm. they will be you. Um, you, write your resume, you know, make it simple, but it's not just making it simple, because that seems to be the kind of the, the, the mantra, you know, it mm-hmm. needs to be simple, not complicated, one page, you need, don't you tell all the stuff, you know, um, mm-hmm. make it a dynamic resume, et cetera, but Simple, but you also say, I think you say professional at the same time. Don't simplify it too much, your resume. No, no, exactly. And it also, it's, you know, I think one of the interesting things about the Internet, too, is they make things so transparent. And that goes from both the the person that's looking for a job, but also the people that are interviewing, you know, you. So, I mean, a lot of the information that, um, you know, that, you know, if you're coming in to interview for a job and you have, like, the specific, like, just be really specific about the accomplishments and almost make them, like conversation starters so that when you're in your interview, you know, those are the points that you can really dive into, you know, and, um, and you know, have as conversation pieces like, you know, you accomplished A, B, and C, and D, and, you know, in your in your interview, you can kind of talk about how you accomplished that. What were the things that you did? So instead of just you know telling somebody, hey, I've done A, B, and C, you can really show them with examples. And I think that's really a powerful way to um, you know to, to to have an interview is to really be able to show and provide examples and you know have you know use use them as conversation starters. 
because your examples are going to be different than somebody else's. They may have done the same thing, or they may have exactly. the same credentials. But if you, you make it real, you make your whatever your personal stuff is, you bring it to the table. And, yeah, I think that's always a good thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's really important. And, I mean, another thing kind of going down that road, too, is just, you know, with the, inter- with the Internet and with it providing, you know, all of this information, going into an interview these days, it's just really unacceptable to not be prepared and not know, um, you know, have done your research before going into these interviews. And I think that's, you know, uh, again, it's uh, a mistake that people make is just not being prepared because, you know, you can find and learn so much about corporate culture or things about the products. And, um, you know, so don't waste, you know, your time, you know, going over things that you probably should have done your research on, you can validate different points and just say, hey, you know, kind of show off that, hey, you know, I've done, I've read this, you know, your corporate culture, um, according to, you know, your website says you're all about A, B, C, and D, you know, validate. Is that true? Can you give, can you give me some examples? So that again, it's not, it's not really about like telling me information that you can pull from the internet, but having more of an, it's being able to have a more interactive conversation about, um, you know, the details of the company. It's amazing to me that people would still think that they could go into an interview knowing nothing about a company and expect to get a job. Oh, it's it's insane, you know. It's and it's funny. Even you know, for me, I was an interviewing manager, you know, at Yahoo uh, when I left, and I mean, I can't even tell you, uh, you know, Fortune 500 company, you know, you know, and give us a story. Give us an I was in the sales division. Yeah, and you know, I was just like, where is your resume? Where is your, you know, why aren't you in a properly dressed? You know, where is my thank you letter? You know, especially in in a sales type environment. And you know, again, you know, I'm I'm a stickler for you know, hey, where's the thank you letter? And again, all of the Fortune 500 folks, you know, mentioned that it's just it's not acceptable. Whether it's just you know sending out a quick email, or you know, I, I personally think the best way approach was, uh, you know, when I was talking to one of the folks over at MGM, and it was, you know, after the interview, you send a quick email to say thank you, and then you follow it up with a uh, handwritten note. Just they thought the handwritten note really went a long way, and it was also a reminder so that, you know, a couple days, you know, like a week or so after the interview, it was like now you get this really nice personal touch, um, and it reminds you of that person. So, you know, that, you know, I really thought was the best approach to, to take is to, you know, shoot a quick email out and, again, follow it up with a handwritten note just because I think it's, it's again, um, you know, with all of the computer interaction that we have these days, um, you know, and all the networking that we can, say, do online, I think that at the end of the day, it really, the, the personal touches really never replace the computer. Yeah, it, it, they, they go hand or they should go tandem or whatever, but it's not yeah. a replacement. And I think that's what, uh, I mean, obviously that's important. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, but I do want to remind listeners, you know, when they get your book, because um, sure. you have questions that uh, you, you suggest that the employers might ask somebody who is applying for a job, which is great, mm-hmm. but then you also have an additional, you have questions that one should maybe ask the employer, which, mm-hmm. which is also, I think those were excellent questions. We won't talk about them mm-hmm. now, but you have to get the book because we've got mm-hmm. one minute to go. So, uh, Colleen... Uh, Colleen Byrne, so nice to have you on the show. And I want yeah, to- thanks so much. We really, yeah. again, really appreciate it. Wish Brenda could have been on as well, but um, but you yeah, did it. Great, great, great talking to you. Great talking to you. One uh, website. Where do we go? Uh, go to web two zero 
jobfinder.com, and you can find um, all the information on the book. You can find the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, but you know, again, if you go to uh, web two o jobfinder.com, um, you can find my contact information, Brenda's contact information. So if you have any questions, feedback, we'd love to hear it. Um, and all of the information that you need is right there on the site. Great, terrific. Thanks so much. Thank you. Talk yeah, to you thanks soon. for joining Bye-bye. me. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, or you have been listening to that in World Talk Radio and the Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Hope you had a great morning. Have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zock Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.